0: there's changes that I've noticed that's changes I've noticed since I was here I don't need that I think I think it got me I think it got me mic'd up okay but I uh, number one is I like the TVs you know if I could have had those in 1980 we'd had TVs and you know I I like that Um, I also noticed that the back end of the battleship that used to be a pulpit up here that's gone too which I think that's fine you know I don't have a problem with that uh, but it does leave me a little uh, unprotected you know I feel, I feel a little bit more exposed. Um, y- you know uh, I notice the choir is gone. Uh, th- that's different from what it was the last time I was here. Uh, but all of you look exactly the same. Y- you haven't changed it. let me pull this down. I got to be able to see try and, and it also it pleases me to see uh, Julie. Newcomb in this boy right here you know when he smiled a minute ago I said oh that's Julie you know I I can see it I can see it but it it excites me that her son is the pastor of this church you know it really really thrills me and I'm hopeful and praying for the future of this church um, you know that God will uh, do great things great things great things. Um, I I will say that uh, you know my uh, my wife would have loved to have been here tonight, couldn't come with me. This is the week of our Vacation Bible School. We've got a lot of things going on, and she just was not able to make it. Uh, to give you an update, my daughter still does live in China, and uh, but she has two children now. We have a grandson that is five years old and a granddaughter who was born on Halloween. Of all, uh, she's, a, she's special, you know. So anyway... Um, But they're all doing well, I just, we haven't got to see them in a while. I haven't seen uh, Katie in person in two and a half years. And so we're hoping that one of these days, maybe there'll be a regime change in October and Xi Jinping will kind of go do something else and somebody else will come into power who will open things up. But right now it's kind of hard to get into China and uh, we're sorry about that, you know. So anyway, uh, you, you make decisions. And there are consequences based on decisions. Do you know that? You know, and uh, when, when our daughter decided to move to China, that was a decision. And this is one of the consequences that you just have to deal with it. Get over it, Byron. You got to deal with it. So that's that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, again, I am grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. It is exciting. You know, I, I've been at the same church, pastoring the same church for 36 years in, in Poplar Bluff. But I will always look at the five years that I pastored here from 1980 to 1985 as some of the formative years, where I, I learned from Bob Fulcher how to do a funeral, you know. I mean, I learned a lot of things from you guys uh, about how to interact with people, relate to people, and this church experience was, uh, was really a, a powerful and a wonderful thing in my life, and uh, it's always exciting to be able to come back, you know, it really is, it really is. Um, I have a, a word I'd like to share with you tonight. If you have a handout, I hope you do have one of those handouts. It has the scripture passage that we're going to look at and, and refer to it in just a few minutes. But let, let, me, let me pray as, as we begin. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace and mercy that saves us, that gives us hope and gives us life. And Lord, we're thankful for people that you bring into our lives that, that you use to shape us and help us. And I thank you for this church. And pray for its continued ministry in this community. Lord, that you will do something in our midst tonight and tomorrow and next week and, Lord, next month and all this next year, all this year. Lord, I pray that your spirit will come and move among these people and that you will give them life and, and hope and, and salvation and peace and joy and, and just a, uh, that your light will be so real in this community that this church will be a light on a hill. And uh, people will see Jesus because of uh, this ministry that's here. Lord, help us. Help us tonight uh, to hear your word. In in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'd like to start off with a story that I think on one hand is kind of an intriguing story and also sort of a sad story. It's a story that goes back to World War II. Uh, It's a story about two Dutch sisters. One of them named Betsy and the other one named Corey. And probably some of you are familiar with Corey Tinboom. The younger generation may not be quite as familiar with that name, but uh, at least the older folks, you've probably heard of Corey Tin Boom and seen her books. And um, you know, those women in that family was thrown into a Nazi concentration camp because they were uh, harboring and protecting and, and evacuating Jews from Nazi controlled areas. Um, and um, they were able to save about 800 people, think about that, over the years, until a neighbor turned them in. What a good neighbor that was. And uh, so they end up in concentration camps, and basically everybody but Corey will die in a concentration camp. But this story is while Corey and Betsy were in Ravensbrook concentration camp. It was a Primarily a women's camp, about 50,000 women in this one camp at its apex. And it was a rough camp. It was was rough living there. And there were, you know, guards and prisoner women. Can you imagine what happened? You can imagine what would have happened. The the camp was not a good camp in the sense they didn't keep it clean. There were bug infestations that were horrible. Bugs, biting insects, fleas, ticks, all kinds of things that were just, it was, it was really, really, really hard. But One day, somebody smuggled in a Bible into the barracks where Corey and Betsy were living. And it was, a, it was a miracle that the Bible got in there. And immediately they started doing some Bible studies when they could, kind of secretively, when guards, they knew guards were not around. And one day in their Bible study, they came across a, pas- a couple of passages. I've got them on the top of that handout on the one side, one from 1 Thessalonians and the other one from Romans. And the one in 1 Thessalonians basically says that in everything give thanks because this is God's will for you. In everything. In everything in concentration camps. And then that Romans passage, Romans 8, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And the women wrestled with those verses. They struggled with them. Betsy said, she thought, that we ought to thank God for the fleas. Even the fleas that infest our cells, you know, our, our barracks. And Corey really struggled with that. I don't like fleas any of you had dogs that have fleas really bad? I mean, what does life look like for a dog when it's got a bad case of fleas? Not very happy. This, this infestation was so heavy that people could walk through the building and get fleas on them. You'd come out with fleas on you. That's how bad they were. And uh, Corey hated it. But Betsy said, we need to thank God for the fleas. Well, here's what happened. Here's what they noticed. Is that a little bit after that, they started noticing that the guards didn't come into the barracks as much. And when the guards didn't come into the barracks, that meant that the women were not abused as much. Both physically and sexually. They were not abused as much. And that meant they could have Bible studies as much as they wanted, as long as they wanted. They could share the gospel and actually led many of these women to Christ during this time period. And what they would learn later, after the fact, is that the reason that the guards didn't come in is because of the the fleas. That's exactly right. The, The moral of the story is that sometimes God can work in less than perfect situations. Sometimes less than perfect situations can actually be better for you. Even though that's a bad situation, it could be better for you than an alternative could be. And um, yeah, there you go. It, it kind of reminds me of, of Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember that? I've got that written out for you also on the page there, verses 7, 8, and 9, where he said, to keep me from being full of myself, to keep me humble, you know, keep me full of, to keep me from being full of pride. God, well, I was given. It doesn't say God gave. I was given a, what? Thorn in the flesh. And it's a thorn in the flesh. And what did it say also? What was the other parenthetical statement? A messenger of Satan. You know? So this, is this. whatever this, does anybody know what the thorn in the flesh was? Uh, you don't. If, if you say you did, you're lying. Because <laughs> nobody knows what it was. And, and we just don't know. It, it was a thorn in the flesh. And but he said it had satanic origins. And then it says, what did he do? He prayed that God would take it away from him. He said three times. I would have prayed more than three times. He said he prayed three times, and God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's a King Jimmy virgin. My grace is all you need. My grace is all you need my power works even more wonderfully sometimes in weakness. So so the, the point that Paul is making in this passage is that sometimes in life, we're going to have hardship and struggles and pain and difficulty. And we, we who wants that? Who wants, who wants flea-infested houses? Nobody wants that. But what, what the Bible wants us to understand is that there are times that there are things that will be good that will come into our lives even when we go through hard times. In other words, God is big enough that when everything is not perfect, that He can still do good work. Is your life perfect right now? I'm going to guess it isn't. Carol, you got surgery coming up. Life is not perfect for anybody. And sometimes... What we need to remember is our God is big enough to help us even when life isn't perfect. And, and, I, and I will say this, that the reason that I think this is important today is that I, I think we live in a world in which there's, there's two things that are happening. I see it increasingly. It's been going on for a long time. We live in a quitting culture and in a throwaway culture right now. When something isn't perfect, people quit or they throw things away. We, we quit relationships. We quit mar- thing, marriages. If, if things aren't perfect, what people feel pretty quick to do is hit the eject button. I'm out of here. You know, and, and, and jobs, are, I don't know if any of you are employers, but if you're an employer right now, how is it in working with people? You know, having employees come into work every day. There's a lot of employers that have a hard time keeping the roster full because people quit because something's not right. Everything's not perfect, you know. We live in a kind of a quitting culture. We live in a throwaway culture. I mean, it used to be that, like, if I had a, a, a toy car and a wheel came off, what would I do? I'd fix it. That's right. Put the wheel back on figure out how to jerry-rig it, to glue it or whatever, You put the wheel back on. Today, what do we do? We throw, we throw it away. There used to be a, a vocation we called TV repairman. Do we have very many TV repairmen anymore? What do we do? When a TV goes down, what do we do? Pitch it. We throw it away. I mean, we live in a culture that, where we have this mindset, if, if things aren't perfect, we get rid of it and get something new. And I just want to say that that doesn't always serve us well. That that mindset doesn't always work for us. Because your life may not be perfect and you might be right in the center of God's will. It might be right where God wants you right now for this time. He wants you to tough it out, not to quit. I mean, people quit churches when things aren't perfect, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And, And what I'm saying to you is that you might be in this difficult situation which you find yourself just one step away. One click away from God doing something really powerfully and wonderfully in your life. And uh, you know, we're going to look tonight at Philippians chapter 1. I want to look at several verses in that section. And, um, and that's going to be the, the message you're going to see in, in the, this passage. Look at chapter 1, verses 12-12. 13 and 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, and I might add sisters too, that what has happened to me, now, does, does anybody know what's happened to Paul in Philippians, what he's talking about? He's in jail. Let me ask you a question. Who would be in jail and think, woohoo, I'm happy. This is right where I want to be. Most people who are in jail would think that's a bad thing. And yet, I want you to look at, listen to Paul. Does it, does it sound like his daubers down while he's in jail? He said, I want you to know, brothers, and and my sisters as well, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. (laughs) He's in jail, but things are, are the gospel's advancing so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And the whole imperial guard, that's probably almost like a specialized group of soldiers that some of which might have even served the emperor or high-powered political prisoners. The imperial guard would be the elite guard. He says, I want you to know that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, I mean everybody else around me, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So these guards are guarding Paul and Paul's saying, let me tell you about Jesus. And some of these guys are, are elite warriors who I guarantee you wouldn't have gone to church on Sunday at 4th Street Presbyterian in Rome. They wouldn't have gone to church. But because they're guarding Paul, they're hearing the gospel, and Paul says, I mean, through these elite soldiers, the, the gospel is spreading. And, and he says, and verse 14. Most of my brothers, and he's talking about the other Christians in Rome, have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Because <laughs> what they're seeing is, well, look at Paul. He's in prison. Does it look like his life's over? You know what? If, if they throw me in prison, I bet, I bet I'll be alright too. I bet I can, I, can, I can do what God wants me to even there. Now you could ask the question, for Paul to be in prison, did this change his ministry? Yes. He's not free to go out and plant churches. He's not free to travel around and preach the gospel. But does that mean that Paul has stopped doing what God wants him to do just because his life isn't perfect? No, he's he's still going there. So he says, my my brothers in, in Christ here in Rome have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is, a, this is really an important thing to understand. That God can take our bad situations in life and do good things through them that just because something bad is happening to you that your life is less than perfect doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God or there's something wrong with you or you've messed up in some way. God, our God, is big enough that when things are not perfect, He can still work in us. And... Uh, you know, I, I want to go back for just a minute. I, I mentioned earlier Romans 8, 28. You know, that's a, a verse on, on, the, on the top of that one side of your page. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, what does that mean? Let me, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that all things are good. You know, he's not saying that. Nor is he saying that God causes everything. Or that God causes the evil. But what he's saying here is that whatever may happen to you, whatever may happen in your life, good or bad, that God will be, for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose, He'll be working in your life, working in your midst, working in the background. He can do good things in your life, through your life, even when your life is not perfect. This is just another way of saying the same thing. And and, and I will say this, that I've seen people have accidents or sicknesses in their life and be in the hospital. And I have seen good things happen while they're in the hospital. I've seen people lead people to Christ, lead nurses to Christ while they're in the hospital. And it probably wouldn't have happened if they wouldn't have been in the hospital. You see what I'm saying? I was just thinking earlier today, there's a date that I always remember. There's very few dates I can remember the actual date while I was here. November 1st, 1980. My first November here. Can anybody tell me what happened on November 1st, 1980? That was the day that Nelson Crowley had his accident with his coal truck. And prior to that, Nelson didn't always come to church. But after that, now, I don't know what happened after I left. I'm not sure. But I do know that after that happened, it's like it was a wake-up call for him. And he started connecting to church and to God in ways that he hadn't before. And I don't think that God made the coal truck go off the road. You know, I don't think that God caused the accident. But I'm telling you, God is at work Behind the scenes, in the good and the bad things, our God is big enough to bring good things out of bad things when they do happen. And uh, that's an important thing to understand. Now, th- that's verses 12, 13, and 14. Look at the next few verses, verses 15 through 18. And he's, he's going to say, not only can God work through imperfect situations, but he can also work through imperfect people. He says, Some people... Indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Stop right there for just a second. Do churches sometimes see themselves in competition with each other? Yeah, probably the average people don't. But I'll tell you this, sometimes preachers do. How many did you have last week? You know, you know, <laughs> you know anybody get saved last week? You know, you know there's a temptation to compare and almost feel like you're in competition with each other. And, and what Paul is saying here is some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Now look at this next, uh, next section. It says, Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In other words, sometimes there are people who minister in the name of Jesus and their motivations are not perfect. Sometimes they do ministry and, and maybe they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Maybe their motivations is wrong. And let me just admit right here, right up front, for God and everyone, I'll tell you there have been times that I've preached sermons and my heart wasn't in the right place. I have. I might have been angry, maybe angry at somebody's life, and I used the occasion of my anger to blast the whole church with an impassioned sermon, you know what I mean? And and the only reason I can make a confession like that is because I believe there are times that you do things in your Christian life with imperfect motives too. If I thought I was the only one, I wouldn't have said that, you know. But I think you do it too. Sometimes you come to church for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? And and I, deacons deek for the wrong reasons sometimes. Some deacons are in it for power. Some deacons want to serve Jesus and they love and they want to be a, a Christ like servant. And some have are power mongers. You know. Some Sunday school teachers teach for to, for the glory of God, and some do it so people think they're smart. Uh, I, I, I don't want to pick on musicians, but, but I'll say this, that even some musicians sing to praise God and some want to, you to buy their album. You know, or, 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 or you know what I mean? Or, or, or they, they, they want your approval or whatever it might be. My point is that all of us sometimes do things for the wrong reasons And what Paul says is, yeah, sometimes some of these preachers have kind of convoluted motivations, but you know what? They're preaching the gospel, and I'm glad for that. Praise the Lord. There's a a woman several years ago, Patsy Claremont, wrote a book, God Uses Cracked Pots. Think think about it. That's a a, a classic title. God Uses Cracked Pots. And it's a Bible study of, of all the kinds of people that God uses who are imperfect. And you know what? That's good news. Because I, I guarantee you, there are people sitting in this room right now, t- tonight, that you will never sign up for anything, to be a part of anything, to do anything. Why? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. Somebody might ask a question and I can't answer it. You know? And, and you, you, think, you see, or I've messed up too much. I've done too many stupid things in my life. I, I've sinned too much. And God can't use me. I'm telling you, God uses cracked pots. Paul's point in this section is that God uses not just, he works not just in imperfect situations, but he uses imperfect people to spread the good news. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, well, just go ahead and be a a convert, you know, just a, a, a pervert. You know, Go ahead and be a pervert and God will use you. you know? No, I'm not saying he, he wants to use sinners that are terrible people, but I'm, I'm saying that He can use people even when they failed, even when they've messed up, even when their life looks really ugly in their past. He can redeem that and save you from that and give you a new life. You know? and you're not going to be perfect going forward, but God can still and will use imperfect people by His Spirit. And, and for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Now, what I want to do now is just take you down a couple more verses to what I think is the classic statement from Paul in this chapter, in this section. It's probably one of his most quoted statements uh, in all of his writings. Verse 21. If you look at verse 21, he says, you know, okay, well, he said all this stuff, but he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is to live for Jesus. But you know what? That, that might mean something bad's gonna happen to me, and I die, somebody kills me, and that's okay. I, I, my, I'm gonna live. If I live, I'm gonna live for Jesus. And if I die, well, I'm going to heaven, and that's even better. Now. On the back side of your little handout that I gave you, I've, made three, I've offered you three statements that kind of build off this thought, and I want you to, to look at these with me. And the first one is that and this is true about life you cannot always control everything that happens to you. We want to control everything that happens to us, don't we? But you can't control people. Don't you wish you could control your spouse? How you doing? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. the the truth is, we can't control everything. There are things we can control, but there's a lot of things we can't control. But the one thing we can control is how we react to everything that happens to us. So I, I, I can't control how you treat me, but I can control how I act and react to how you treat me. There may be, after this sermon today, there might be somebody who will meet me at the door and say, Byron, and you just cuss me out. You just give me a tuck of tongue lash. That's the blankety-blanketest sermon I've ever blankety-blank heard. You know, you can cuss me. Now, I can't control the fact that you might have just cussed me out at the door. I can't, I can't keep you from doing that. What I can control and what I am responsible for is how I respond to how you treat me. How I react to your cussing, you know, uh, really, and and the third point is really critical, and that is how you react in every circumstance depends upon your advanced values, your advanced values, the values that you have inculcated in your life prior to the incident. So, if I if if from all my life I've been a, a revenge person, you know, you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you, you know. You cuss me, I'm going to give you a cussing back, you know. If if you grew up with that sort of a mindset, when somebody gives you a cussing, you're going to react based on your advanced values. And here's the thing. You have a set of values whether you realize it or not. You have You have a set of beliefs, deeply held beliefs, that guide how you act and react in life, whether you're aware of them or not. Some of you are aware of them. Some of you have very godly set of values that that, respo- that help you respond. When your wife is annoying the fire out of you, or let me put it, when your husband is annoying the fire out of you, you have a set of values that you deeply believe that guide how you react to that situation. Everybody has them. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, they were gambling for His clothes at His feet. You remember what His next statement was? Can anybody tell me what it was? What did He say next? He said, Father, forgive them. for They don't know what they're doing. Now, where did that come from? That came from a deeply held belief that Jesus had a love for sinners and he sees them gambling for his clothing while he's hanging to the cross and he could have said you're going to burn in hell down there you know what I mean he could have reacted with, with a, an ugliness but his, his reaction was rooted in a set of deeply held values Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. When Paul is in prison in Rome, he reacts in chapter 1 verse 21 with a deeply held value. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm going to live for Jesus if if I rot in jail, if I die in jail. I'm going to live for Jesus until I die. I'll live for Jesus until somebody kills me. That statement was built on a deeply held value, advanced value. And and I I want you to think about today, what are the values that guide your life? There's an old uh, preacher. Uh, His name was John R. Rice. And uh, he preached back in the 1900s. And I was doing some ministry one time in Texas. This was back in the 20s, 1920s, during Prohibition. And uh, he was a he was an old Baptist, fiery preacher, you know. And he would he'd let him have it, you know. And and he's preaching against sin, and he was preaching against bootlegging. He'd heard there was some bootlegging in this little town, and he's preaching against them. You're you're going to get in trouble with God with your, your bootlegging. And what so happened? There were some bootleggers in the service that night, and so the next morning. A couple of them visited him and said, you better shut up about the bootlegging. If, if you say anything, if you preach any more about bootlegging, we're going to take you out. And this is what John R. Rice said, which I think is classic. He said, you can't threaten me with heaven. Think about that for just a second. <laughs> you can't threaten me with heaven. You know what he meant by that? He meant to live is Christ." and to die is gain. You take me out, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) There's a story that took place uh, probably almost a hundred years ago. There was a ship that was sailing from London, England to New York City. And a passenger ship. And what happened to them on that voyage could happen. It was a terrible storm horrible storm blew in and it was so frightening there were people that knew they they knew the ship was going down and and even some of the crew members were shaken by this storm but there was one woman on board who was amazing she was praying with people She told Bible stories to kids, trying to get their minds off of what was going on. She she helped people when people would throw up because they were sick. She'd clean clean them up and was doing stuff. And she was such an amazing servant to so many people. And she was just an ordinary passenger that the crew, when the ship didn't sink, (laughs) the crew uh, told about her to the captain, said, you need to meet this lady. And so just before they went into New York Harbor, the captain asked, to meet with her. And uh, he, he said to her, How, how did you do this? What, during that storm, when so many people were frightened and they knew the ship was going down, how did you hold your cool? How did you, how did you do what you did? And um, she said, Well, first of all, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe in him. But she said, Also, I have two daughters. One of my daughters lives in New York. And my other daughter lives in heaven. And I knew that in a matter of time, I was going to see one or the other of them. And frankly, sir, it didn't matter to me which one it was. That's a woman who had as a deeply held set of values, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, I will, I will be okay, I will be okay, I will be okay. Um, I wonder tonight, um, do you know Jesus? Or, or, yeah, 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 you guys have been saved, you were baptized, you've, you've accepted Jesus, but is Jesus the center of your heart and life? Is is He the source of your life values? Is He the one who guides, who directs, who empowers how you act and react when weird things, when less than perfect things happen to you, when you run into less than perfect people? Is, is your heart and soul grounded in Jesus? Are you where you want to be? Or if you were to be honest, would you say, you know what? The way I react when things go south, it really doesn't please me. and I'm not happy about it. And I, I really need to grow. I really need to get closer to God. I need to surrender my heart to Him. I, I need to let Him fill me with His Spirit. And that I, I emulate Christ in how I act and react the things of this world let's pray Lord I I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit will take this simple message and use it to speak to hearts Lord, I pray that uh, if there's somebody here that would have to admit, you know what, I'm not very well prepared for life, I'm, I have not allowed, I've, I've not made the Word of God so much a part of my heart and my thinking and my mind and my even my emotions, that that's what guides me, that's what leads me. Lord, I I want to grow closer to you. I want to know you. I want to to be like Jesus in how I live and act and react. Lord, forgive us of our sins tonight. Forgive us for the times that we've, we've followed the flesh instead of the Spirit. Forgive us for those times that we've... We've listened to the wrong voices the voices of Satan and not the voices of Je- the voice of Jesus Lord cleanse us from all sin the Bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and Lord tonight we need you and we ask for your help